0: If you're listening, if you're hearing this, you have found our podcast. You can continue to find our podcast at this location.
1: This is brought to you by stamps.com, purple mattresses <laughs> and MailChimp.
0: Simply Safe,
2: the best home security system.
1: And BlueChews, medicine for men.
2: <laughs> oh, what's the algae? AG1, <laughs> my favorite supplement. I take it every day. Tastes Harry's a little bit like yeah.
1: If you're sick of buying expensive razors in the store.
2: Manscaped. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we're, 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 we're coming up with a new concept called uh, free sponsorships <laughs> where we advertise for your brand and don't get paid.
2: Club, A bi-weekly podcast in which we decide upon a theme, recommend records that fit that theme, and then meet back up to share our thoughts.
1: I'm Joey Albin.
2: I'm Darvel Hurlbutt. And I'm James Doyle.
1: Yeah, so this week we are going to be talking about a 2022 album from Yeba. It's her Live at Electric Lady studio album. Uh, This was part of a series that Spotify has come out with in collaboration with Electric Lady Studios, where they're just releasing these little five, six song long albums from different artists recorded uh, live at Electric Lady Studio. If you're not familiar, Electric Lady Studios was started by Jimi Hendrix back in the 60s as like his perfect studio to do everything. Uh, It's in New York. Uh, Just kind of a little background information about Yebba. Her real name is Abby Smith. Yeba is Abby backwards. She is from West Memphis, Arkansas. She grew up singing in church where her dad was a preacher. Uh, She briefly attended Belmont University, ended up quitting to pursue uh, her own music. Uh, She initially got some attention from Ed Sheeran, uh, but she kind of put herself on the map by doing some collaborations with various R&B people. uh, And she won a Grammy in 2017 for her collaboration with PJ Morton on his cover of How Deep Is Your Love. So for this uh, live at Electric Lady Studios album, uh, her band is just like a murderer's row of musicians. She's got the band leader and the key player is James Francis who collaborates with her a lot. He's a a pretty successful jazz artist. The kind of core of this is Questlove is on drums and Pino Palladino is on bass, You know, two of the greatest R&B session musicians ever probably uh, but then we also have charles myers on guitar who works with the a lot and then stro elliott on the npc and some other electronic stuff four of the songs on this album are from her 2021 lp called dawn uh, the one exception is the song the age of worry which is a john mayer cover so yeah what what did y'all think about this album all the articles call it an album. I keep wanting to call it an EP because it's only five songs, so I might switch back and forth, but we know what we're talking about here. Go for it, James.
0: I- I'm not sure. You seem like you have a lot of things to say. I'll go first. I don't. I'll go first. Um, I don't have a lot of things to say. <laughs> I I tried really hard to like this album or EP, and I just, I don't know. It was... It was hard for me. I think to sum it up, I'm glad we did an EP and it was only five songs. And every time I listened to it, it was usually about the third song that I was like, okay, I'm going to go listen to something else. And so I'd come <laughs> back to it and like, you know, this time listen to song two and three. Song four is going, yeah, I'm going to switch it up. Uh, anyway, I can say more as we go through, but it uh, there, were, there were things I really like about it. But overall, I didn't love it. I think I'm in the opposite camp but it's weird for me
2: I would not listen to this album on a regular basis I probably won't listen to this album going forward it's just not in a genre that I like to live in very much but that first week I was completely transfixed by this music there is a lot going on and a, a lot of it was very frustrating for me as a as someone who considers himself a fairly competent musician, but also is a percussionist and who has bad relative pitch, there were there were several moments where I could not keep up with what was happening until I actually physically sat down at a piano and like played with the record and figured out what was going on. I liked the puzzle of it. I liked like pulling apart the pieces and seeing why is this so compelling? What why is this working so well the way it is? The level of musicianship across the record is insane. It is so good. All, all of the players, as you said, the murderer's row, it, it, that's such an apt description. They just kill every single track. It is so, so good. And Yeba, as a vocalist, is phenomenal. There are, in addition to things like, like range and, you know, deftly moving note to note, timbre changes and texture choices and things that were just so interesting so i really enjoyed tearing it apart i really enjoyed dissecting it and figuring out the songs but it kind of feels the same to me as like uh i want to say like a modern jazz album but like like jazz that tries to be intelligent where it's like once i once i know the gimmick and once i kind of see like oh that's what they did there it's not something i would listen to again for an enjoyment
1: yeah, so that's all. That's a, that's super interesting. So I heard about this EP. I was listening. to, I don't remember the name of this YouTube show. It's where the guy from Patreon and uh, Scary Pockets, the keyboard player, I can't remember his name, Jack something or other, uh, and then he has guests on. Like Adam Neely's done it. They'll take a song and kind of just talk about it. And at the beginning, they're like, you know, what are you listening to? And one of them was like, oh, I'm I'm obsessed with this album. That was my first time hearing who Yeba was. So I went and listened to this album, and I was like, "This is great. I love this. I listened to it a lot. It's kind of I kind of chilled out on it. Uh, but then for the podcast, I was like, "Oh, I, I want to mention this album because I did listen to this a lot. I kind of had the thing where like the more I kept listening to this, like the more I wanted to listen to it. Where it's just like I'm in this album. I feel like so the, the way I tend to listen to music, I don't know if this is like. A neurodivergent thing. I usually listen to like one thing at a time for a week. Like I don't listen to a wide range of music. I'll listen to an album for a week and then I might not ever listen to it again, but for that week, that's all I'm listening to. This was that for like the last week for sure, but it's probably going to keep being that for a few weeks. <laughs> I just love this album. This is Firmly, like James said, like where you live or don't live. I, I live in this album. Like this is definitely a, a genre, a sound I like a lot, which kind of leads me to something interesting. So, I'm curious if it, did either of y'all go listen to like the quote unquote real versions of any of her songs.
2: So I was actually waiting until after this, sure, to to go dig in because I didn't want to to color my opinion, and I do have questions. Mm-hmm about some of these arrangements
1: yeah so like i said this was my introduction to Yeba. the only thing i'd ever listened to her other than like some clips on tiktok was this album Yeba existed as this album <laughs> so then like when i went and listened to some other stuff it was funny because it's like i don't like this as much like this is not as the as the zoomers would say this isn't hitting uh
2: <laughs> it's like, very mid
1: yeah this is like a worse version of something that I love. Uh, like for example, one of these songs, there's a uh, paranoid purple has a rap at the end and the real one. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't like it as much. I think it's this thing where like, kind of like what you were saying, James, I know musicians play on hip hop R and B albums. They are not featured the way they are. On this, you know, which is like a live in the studio thing. It it is all secondary to the song, to the vocalist, to what, you know, the main event. And I think for me, that really killed it. But because of, you know, going along with this, why I liked it. And like I said, firmly in my wheelhouse. So like one of my favorite albums of all time is Voodoo by D'Angelo. Not familiar. It's the best. I mean, like it's sublime, but. Yeba is obsessed with that album. And mm-hmm. when she decided I'm going to be when when her career was starting to break out and I need to pick some people to play with, she's like, I want to make that album. So I'm going to get who drummed on that album, Questlove. I'm going to get who played bass on that album, Pino. And like, so basically, that's what this live EP sounds very similar to voodoo because it is very similar to voodoo voodoo as an album is the one that kind of pioneered the like drunk dilla drumming Mm -hmm. this album doesn't do that as much but like the vibe of it is very very similar i love this album obviously kind of redundant to say it because that's why i picked it um but i kept listening to it and find my found myself liking it more and more and more as i like paid closer and closer attention and became more familiar with it so
2: now i think i sounded more dismissive than i intended to be (laughs) Because, I, like I said, I did enjoy, like, pulling apart the pieces and all that stuff. I think one of the issues is, with my background as an arranger and a composer, I really enjoy texture, and I really enjoy these things like that. And whenever you have a small, like, with the exception of a couple of tracks on here, the instrumentation is very limited. Yeah. And I'm not a person that can just go, like, vibe on harmonies. Mm-hmm. it's i hear it i appreciate it but it's like man that would sound sweet if that was a horn section or like mm-hmm. you know sure yeah well, the last record we did was lorna shore every time i listened to it i was able to find a new like hidden thing in the background of like i never heard that sound before or i never heard that whereas this was all very up front mm-hmm. with a lot of complexity in yeah. what was
1: happening it's very exposed it's like, like you said it is like jazz where it's like you can. There is one piano player. There is a drummer. There is a bass player, and you can always hear what all of them are doing all the time.
2: That is why I, like I said, I don't think I'll come back to it. But the songwriting and the musicianship again cannot be like shortchanged. Objectively, it is a phenomenal record. <laughs> like, <laughs> it it is just not something that I vibe with.
1: Mm-hmm. So last episode, we're talking about like. Ways of listening and like we had talked about like, you know, oh, sometimes I like something because that's a really cool guitar part or like I like something because it's a really cool chord progression. Or we might say, oh, my gosh, did you hear how they modulated to the blah, 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 whatever. <laughs> and we, we kind of talked about that a little bit. And I, it kind of stuck in my head because I, I did kind of like James, sometimes I I did sit down with like a guitar at some point with this album and was like, what is that dang chord and why, (laughs) why does it work? Why does it sound weird, but also it works like it doesn't sound wrong. What is it? You know, and when we get to it in the song, we can talk about it. But like, I started thinking about like, okay, I, I sat down, I figured out, okay, oh, this chord, it's an F. I mean, an F diminished, it shares notes with blah, whatever. And I was like, I don't think that's why I like this part though. Hmm. I wouldn't say, oh, I love, I love when a song modulates from the five <laughs> or when a song goes from the five and then they use the flat to diminished to go to the, you know, like that's never the case. I think it is like a language thing and maybe a layer of listening. Like the thing I was thinking about is like, if I went to like the Grand Canyon, every single person on the planet is going to be like, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. There's, I mean, no one's going to be like, this is boring. Like (laughs) everyone's (laughs) going to say, this is astounding. But if you were a geologist, you would have some specific things and you wouldn't necessarily be saying, this is why it's astounding because this river cut through this. But like for that person, that is an element of how they understand why it's astounding. And it doesn't mean they think it's more astounding because of it or less astounding. It's kind of just like, this is a lens. I'm identifying this stuff with the same way. Like if you are a photographer, you might be like, Oh my gosh, looking out over this Vista, like the composition of the sky and the ground, like you, you know, that the kind of frameworks you're understanding something through. And I think there are snobby musicians, who would say, I'm able to appreciate this more because of it. I also think there are kind of weird anti-snob musicians who would say, no, actually you're appreciating this less because you understand it that way. I think they're both wrong. I think it's kind of just like a vocabulary or like a, a framework that you can apply if, if you want to. I think this album's a good example of that because like you said, there, there are some kind of musical puzzles in it and yet, I'm sure most people who like this album aren't don't care about that.
2: To push back on it a little bit, though, there is a very common thing and one record that we we didn't talk about on the podcast. And we might get around to, but probably not because of where we are in the year was the uh, J.D. Beck and Domi record. Mm -hmm. And um, my criticism with that, along with some of my friends that I've discussed it with, is that there's there's just a lot of jazz winkery on it where it's we are. We're so talented. We're so good. Look at all we can do. And and the songs suffer as a result of that. Yeah. They're not focusing on songs anymore and making good hooks. It's just about, look how cool this can be. Megan loves women Mm singer-songwriters. It's like her number one genre of music. And when I listened to this record, she was like, it's annoying that she keeps changing notes so much. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm paraphrasing that slightly, but that was like the intent. She was was like, "I, I don't like this. And, and I was like, what about it? Do you not like she's like, I don't know. It's just like all over the place, you know, and it's like <laughs> and So we, we like kind of discussed it, but but that's what it was. It was that it never settles. Mm-hmm. And for, for me, that's compelling. But for her, it was like, I don't like this. I would much rather listen to Phoebe Bridgers or mm-hmm. uh, Lucy Dacus or something. So I do think that having that musician lens did help me appreciate it a little bit more mm-hmm. than someone completely who's not a musician.
1: Yeah, I think it can help. I guess what I'm saying, if I met someone who loved this album and they can't carry a tune in a bag, you know, like they have no musical training at or whatever, I would not argue I like this album more than you because that that's all I kind of was was honing in on. I do agree with you though. Yeah,
0: and it was interesting because I I remember asking about that because yeah, I just wondered if there are times where like you know i'm like oh this song it was okay this was interesting and you know if your reactions like oh, didn't you hear in verse 3 how they <laughs> you know the and getting in getting all your musical stuff like how did you not recognize that that's amazing and so yeah I, it's i liked your analogy where it's like that's not what makes it amazing but it is nice being able to like for you to dig into it deeper like that and appreciate those things more i think all three of us are
2: fairly competent as musicians mm-hmm. I don't think a single one of us could perform any of the vocal parts on this record
0: I,
1: not <laughs> I could well. not perform any of any of the parts except for maybe some of the bass parts and it would not be nearly as good
2: I could play the drum parts I could play them it's not going to sound like yeah. they sound right but, but yeah that's and again that goes into the kind of like music snobbery where it's like oh he's not he's not playing that much and it's like you're not listening yeah He's he's playing the space really well. It's,
1: well. it's funny you mentioned talking uh, with your wife about, she's like, oh, it's too many notes. Because I would say one of the things I really like about Yeba compared to an extreme example would be someone like Christina Aguilera. But like a lot of other R&B woman vocalists and men, but it tends to be a, a in the genre, it tends to be women, is I think Yeba has... An extreme amount of control and restraint and precision with a lot of this stuff. Whereas I do, I I have probably uttered a very similar thing to her when listening to other vocalists of just like, just chill out, like sing the dang song, you know, like you know, like some you no know, the worst examples of the Star Spangled Banner or something where it's like just like rein it in, you know, and like I think Yeba, I would describe her as being like a very not conservative but like careful singer.
0: Do we want to get into it?
1: Yeah, so the first song is One More Smile. Like this is like I said this is one of her originals written by her with James Francis. I think it works really well as a first song on an album. Kind of sneaks you into it with the kind of the piano kind of fades in with like the weird warbly tape echo on the piano that kind of almost like AM radio sounding. Two things I wanted to mention that I like. So one of them is something this song does that other songs do it too, is it starts out with a very static chord progression. We have four chords, that's the song. And then they start to drift a little bit. Like this one chord, maybe we're gonna replace it with two chords. And like the chord progression and the song kind of starts to expand, which I think happens a few times on this album, which I think is very cool. Um, compositionally um, this is the one I was talking about earlier where it's like we're going like a F sharp minor E and then sometimes it goes to the C sharp minor so the E and then there's this really sneaky cool chord where it's like what what is it and it's there's an F diminished chord in there it's very cool it doesn't matter why it's cool but that was one of these puzzles like I was talking about the other cool thing this song actually quotes Louis bag
2: mm-hmm
1: later on like which is a song later on which i think is kind of like a funny little easter egg a little bit but yeah so what what did y'all think about this
2: yeah one of the things i thought was was interesting was the repetition of lyrical themes across so many tracks now knowing that four of those tracks are from the same project the same lp that, that makes some more sense. It did start to seem repetitive. Sometimes it was done creatively, but I, I did think that was a little strange. Some of the choices, the musical choices on this, I thought were, were a step above a lot of other things I've heard this year. The bass entrance with the vocals was really, really well done. And I think it goes to show how effective not playing is and knowing when to play. That was a pretty cool thing. I loved the super saturated reverb on everything and again that that was something that as the record went on i got a little bit tired of a a little bit more but on this first track it was really like it was really intriguing to me if there was one highlight that i could do um on this track in particular yebba does this thing and i'm not a vocalist so i don't know if i'm using the correct terminology but i believe it's a vocal fry but she comes out of it into clear notes
1: Yeah, where she can kind of go from this, not I wouldn't say quite raspy, but like a little bit throatier, huskier sound and then just like clean it up.
2: It's like going from a distorted guitar to a bell tone. It's Mm -hmm. so like crystal clear. And so those were more the elements of this song that that kept me engaged with it. You mentioned the Louis bag thing. I, I had a note about that, too. But outside of that, it was just kind of like, this is a good intro.
1: Side note to the uh, listener, if go, if you can find the longest list you can of everything that Pino Palladino has played on uh, the bass player for this album, he has played on an astounding number of good things talking about, you know, the, this song, like demonstrating like how important the bass is to this album.
0: Yeah. I love the uh, piano and the tone the effect you mentioned when this started out, I was like, okay, all right, this is cool. <laughs> and I think my number one problem is her voice, which is a hundred percent a taste thing, because like I can recognize that she's an amazing vocalist, but it's just not what I enjoy listening to. And uh I mean my wife she mentioned uh when she was listening to it, she said it sounded like Enya to her, which <laughs> I thought was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but you know, there's, I don't know, some elements there. But I, I was trying to figure out what it was about her voice. But, I mean, I typically, we watched a season of The Voice forever ago. And I just remember there were, like, one or two singers on there that, you know, they do the runs. And the judges would always be like, oh, my gosh, you're so good. It's so impressive. And I'm like, oh, okay. I just don't like it, I guess. And so, I mean, she uses her voice like not just as you know singing the melodies but i feel like you get more like it's its own instrument in a way kind of with the other ones um but yeah i think it just comes down to taste there's a lot of these songs that if you scrape the voice off i would enjoy it more as just kind of like chill instrumental stuff to listen to while working or something i was trying to figure out because i feel like she sings at this pitch where it's like i don't know that i'm like Oh, I really like your voice, except when you're singing right here in this register, but I feel like the whole album is in that register. And it's like, Oh, okay. Like if that's where you want to sing, cool. Just, I don't love it.
1: Yeah. I think two of the things you said were super, like, I completely agree. Like thinking of her as like, she's like a horn player in this band as well as the lead vocal. Like, you know, she's kind of just riffing just like some of the other people are. And it's kind of cool. I think I know what you mean about the register thing. I, It doesn't bother me, but in fact, I would say something I kind of like about her is you have someone like Christina Aguilera, who's belting at the top of her range all the time. And then you have people, maybe I can't think of an example now, uh, some more rock style vocalists who are sitting in that kind of lower, thicker, husky sound. And Yeba does tend to kind of stay in between those and then kind of dip into the other ones, like as necessary sometimes, which I think is like a really interesting approach to singing. Cause like there are times at this album where she's going for it and you're like, Oh, this, this person has like a powerhouse voice when she really wants to, but she often is in that kind of like middle, a little bit breathy, but not like weak sounding area of her voice.
2: Yeah. Yeah, when you when you mentioned like the rock vocals, like my my mind instantly goes to Miley Cyrus. Right, right. And and her more recent stuff. And yeah, Yeba can access that rasp almost like an effect pedal. Mm-hmm. Which is is just so cool that she has that control. And and the other thing that she does is she also has a great dynamic range and sings very soft spoken, but it isn't like the Billie Eilish soft spoken right whisper where where it's, it's not like full tone, again. Like you, you summarized it best when you said that she has control mm-hmm. at those low ranges. Yeah,
0: James, you mentioned the reverb. I, uh, I think it was like the second or third track in. I made a note of like, did, they, did, did the guy just like fall asleep on the reverb reverb <laughs> dial? And because uh, it just, and then I was curious. I was like, oh, it's live. Maybe I don't know Electric Lady. Maybe it's this huge hall or something. It's just natural reverb or something, but. It is a nice effect, but again, after too much of it I was I was ready to turn that down.
1: I do wonder if maybe there was an attempt since it's live. There's i I've now seen a sworn affidavit that everything on this album is live. They could have gone in and punched there are up videos. some stuff. Yeah, I mean, I know there are videos, but like who knows if they may be sweetened things here and there you know doubled string parts or whatever but i do wonder if you know because it's only a handful of people playing if they kind of made it pretty wet sounding to try to just take up a bunch of space which that is a big difference between this album and the album i mentioned earlier uh, voodoo the d'angelo album because it's very dry sounding not super dry but compared to this it doesn't have the swirly reverb spaciness like it's very punchy dry precise album so that is a big difference anything else about uh one more smile
0: oh yeah and then just to nod like you guys had mentioned the louis bag line mm-hmm. in there yeah it's that's my favorite part of the whole album is that melody mm-hmm. um and so it was like oh i get to hear it in this song too <laughs> but,
1: So next song is The Age of Worry, which is a John Mayer cover, which, so I'm a big Weird Al fan. I I don't know if y'all, like ever since I was a kid, I still listen to a ton of Weird Al. A very frequent thing that's happened to me is like, I will have heard the Weird Al version of a song way before I hear the real one. And probably 200 times more (laughs) frequently than I've heard the real one.
0: Yeah. I'm the same.
1: This was a similar thing where like, I listened to John Mayer in high school and college, and then I listened to him a little bit now, not much. So like anything that happened between 2009 and 2019, I don't know what he was doing. The first time I heard the age of worry was this Yeba song. And I, and I loved it, loved it, loved it. And then I was like doing some Googling and it was like, Oh, John Mayer loved her version. I was like, who okay, who cares? And I was like, <laughs> oh, it's because this is I didn't know it was a John Mayer song until like not terribly long ago. Have y'all were y'all familiar with this as a John Mayer song?
2: I, I didn't know it was a John Mayer song until you texted me and you were like, Yeah, the harmonies on that John Mayer song <laughs>
0: And Oh, you guys are messaging pre podcast recording without this, me? Oh, we I were I see.
1: That was my attempt to spare you from me bothering James of like, hey, did you find that F diminished chord? <laughs> I bet but, you find it.
2: <laughs> but yeah, you you sent me that and I was like, what? And so that's when I, I Googled yeah. like the album and I
1: found out this was a cover. So this is tied for my favorite song in this album. I think it's astoundingly good. The John Mayer version of it is not as good because... It was in his like daughter's era of like, I'm not doing guitar wank anymore, but I'm also not doing anything else either. (laughs) And so like just kind of doing trite songs. And this song is the same chord progression the whole way through. I think because of that, they're the same lyrics. She didn't change the lyrics for her version. They're the same lyrics. John Mayer singing them because of the very simple kind of Hootie and the Blowfish-esque music underneath it. And because... I know John Mayer is a jerk and like, I'm kind of have a cynical opinion of him. The lyrics in his version come across to me as kind of like cheap Hallmark slacker lyrics in the context of this Yeba version. I love them. I think they're great. I think they have like, it kind of remind one of my favorite songs of all time is make your own kind of music by Mama Cass and like just this very uplifting, like, Don't worry. Don't get mad at people. We're all living in it together. Like, I don't know. I'm curious what y'all thought about the lyrics, especially because we rarely talk about lyrics on this podcast, especially
0: me. So this is my least favorite song on this. Um, I'm also, I do not like John Mayer. I did not know this was a John Mayer song until, you know, tonight when you mentioned it. Um, And so, you know, maybe that matches up there. My thing, it's... Like, I'm good with the lyrics and the theme, but the music with it is just too, like, Hallmark, stealing your word there. Mm-hmm. Like, this might be why I don't like this type of singing. Growing up in church, you know, we had our hymns and everything, which are pretty typical church hymns, whatever. But then for the youth, they'd put out, like, an album every year that's, like, this is more hip. Like, they call it, like, the EFY, <laughs> especially for youth albums. And... uh like this song could be on one of those. Like it just very much. Now anyone listening to music would be like, Oh, this is way more musically impressive than any of that stuff. But like the feel of it is very like, Oh, it's all. And so I, uh, I mean I would rock out to those on Sundays cause that's all I could listen to on Sundays. <laughs> but, uh, now I'm just like a little cringe for me. And so, yeah, I, I did not like this song. So, so I'll start with the lyrics. Um, I, I agree with you
2: they for me they're very powerful they're very effective much more so than the John Mayer version I, I who again I also don't have a very good opinion of this song is without question th- th- this is probably the only song I'll come back to and I actually <laughs> saw earlier today Um, I, I guess it was two days ago because you get your like monthly listens on title of, like, this, these are the five artists you stream the most or whatever. And, uh, I saw, like, the number of times i had streamed Yeba, and I was like, that doesn't, like, I've only listened to that album like five, six times. Like, I don't see how I had, and it was this track, <laughs> this one track, I I probably played as much as the six times I listened to the album all the way through. The first time I heard it, I was just listening kind of ambiently at my, you know, and, uh, when we got to the, the last, uh, you know, the, uh, Rage in the Age of Worry where she's just up there and I was just like, wait, hold on. How did we get here? Like, mm-hmm. how did how did I end up in this area from where... So I, I started the track again and that's where I was listening and everything and I was like, okay, well, that chord doesn't belong there. Oh, okay, hold on. These, ah. And so that's when I was like, I have to find a piano. I have to sit down and I have to figure this out. And it was the most frustrating, like, 30 minutes of my life <laughs> just trying to figure out, like... What key am I in for which part of this verse? Yeah. So, so, so after like taking it all apart and putting it back together and listening to it, I don't know. I've heard anything in the past decade that can touch like the vocal complexity of this song. <laughs> it is yeah. so, so hard. Um, I might be out here. Um, you might have to correct my theory. I think they're employing a lot of tritone subs to do the key
1: changes. So I can tell you what it is if you for the listener I'll do like the super super quick crash course if you want. Yeah. So basically like if you're in a key you have a certain number of chords that fit in that key. You can start getting fancy when you start substituting them or altering them. So like if we're in the key of C normally it'd be a D minor that goes to the G. But you can make it a D major and it sounds really even better. So that's one way to do it you can keep getting more and more complicated in that like you can go, instead of doing the five chord, you can make it a tritone sub, which is a chord that's one tritone away. So if you're in the key of C, you can replace the G chord with a C sharp chord or D flat chord, sorry. And you can do that with lots of different chords. And so you can do it with any dominant chord. So if you have changed... If you have a dominant chord that is, for example, the five of two or the five of five, you could switch each of those for the tritone sub. And so then you get this kind of cascading, like layers of chromatic descending or ascending, depending on how they stack the chords, that at the very, very heart of it is like a pretty normal chord progression. Like, you know, listen to the John Mayer song. It's like four different chords, but you can kind of, it's almost like, I'm trying to think you're you're taking like each element and kind of tweaking it. And then once all the elements are tweaked, you do that again. And you're like doing this iterative approach where you're left with this very complex thing that still somehow there's some part of it that taps into something in our ear brain that says, this is fine. It's like, (laughs) it's like the dog in hell. You know, this is fine. Like, (laughs) uh, where like, it doesn't just sound like a mess. You know, like there's something that gives it a sound that sounds a little bit like something we're accustomed to hearing.
2: But the the way they do it is like, and again, I'm curious about your analysis and, and where you ended up on it. But to me, it seems like each time they do the key change, it ascends. Hmm. Okay. So so by the time you end up, that's that's why she's hitting that like powerhouse. Like she's up there.
1: I think the way it sounds like it's ascending is like so at in chord progression you know normally we're going from 5 to 1 mm-hmm. and so for some drama sometimes we'll do flat 6 flat 7 1 you know to mm-hmm. uh, it's a very church like church choir ending you know like musical theater tabernacle choir ending they do it all the time what this song does instead of going flat 6 flat 7 1 it'll treat that flat 6 and flat 7 as the four and the five of a new key. Okay. That's so then what, okay. all of a sudden you've moved from, for example, this, this song starts out in C sharp. We've moved up to E. Uh, so we're going up by thirds. And so we do that a couple times. We are, we're up there by the end of it.
2: Okay. Yeah. So that's what, that's what I thought. I thought every time we get to the end and you hear that like little, like chromatic thing, it would be, you know, we're key changing up. So, so yeah, so I was, like I said, this, this was the puzzle that kept me hooked on this album. (laughs) This, this song was the one that I kept coming back to and taking apart. And like, now kind of as a reference to your Oliver Tree review, the problem with that being so early in the album is that with everything that came after it, I was like, it's not the age of worry. Like, (laughs) you know, like
1: even that last track. I mean, that last track is juicy. It's. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it when we get there, but.
2: But, but, but again, the, the last track is, is sparse. Yeah. Where, where this is, this is the most, this is the most full instrumentation. No, this is
1: musical theater. Like, yeah. I said, it kind of reminds me like, you know, the, the Simon and Garfunkel, like where they're having a full like strings and timpani and like, that's kind of what it reminded me of that kind of vintage, you know, RCA studio orchestra type, type feel.
2: Yeah, so I know I didn't say anything like of substance about this song. Like I just <laughs> just other than just being like it's so good.
1: <laughs> one one line that like I I've said before on the podcast. I'm not a huge lyrics guy. One couplet in this song that I just I think it's like a fantastic line that I'm like, "Okay, John Mayer, I know you did a good one." Like the line Your fight is not with them. Yours is with your time here. I think it's just like, I read a lot about like mindfulness and, you know, kindness. And like, I do like meditations and stuff on that. And that's something they talk about a lot where it's like, look, everyone's going through it. Every single person on the entire planet is going through something. And every once in a while, you're going to bump into that. And it doesn't mean they're a terrible person necessarily. It doesn't mean they're rude. It's like, your fight is not with that person. It might be just the fact that we're all in this together. Like the, the, there's a line that Ram Das says a lot. We're all just walking each other home where it's like, we're just here bumping into each other. And when we get mad, it's not necessarily because the other person did something to you. They just did something because they're in it. Just like all of us. I I don't, I I love that line. I think it's a, a great line.
0: It's, it's been fun watching James as you went through all the musical stuff there and his like nodding and like, Oh, uh, like the puzzle, like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway, just wanted to <laughs> comment on that. <laughs> well, it, it's so, so
2: I'm not going to pretend like, like Joe, your degree is literally in music theory.
1: I mean, right? it's my 2009 degree is in music theory. So I, I've forgotten as much as I ever knew, probably.
2: Right, but but like you, in terms of your training, in that realm, it's far above mine. And so when I'm when I'm hearing this stuff, it's it's like I I can recognize something's happening, and I know where I'm ending up or whatever. But I'm not a great piano player, and I'm not a great singer, so I I don't always I can't always quite grok mechanically exactly what's happening and it's like i i I can tell this pitch is here i, I can tell this pitch is here but I, I can't figure out this quality when i have 12 notes going on
1: well and so i think something that's interesting is like comparing this very complex and beautiful sounding song to something like series, uh, you know set set music set theory music go look at how many people on Spotify have listened to each of those things, you know, like, (laughs) you know, and, and the fact that like, maybe there are some weirdos out there who this applies to. I don't think there's anyone who listens to set theory music who doesn't understand it. You know, like, whereas this, you can listen to it. Like I said, there's something in there that tells our brain, this sounds good or like this sounds like it's supposed to sound. And so I think for me, it's much more interesting too, but it's like, well, wait, How is it so complex and how are they breaking all the rules? And yet it sounds, it doesn't sound jarring. It sounds very smooth. It's just kind of going along. Like what, what allows that to happen? Something that frustrated me about my music degree is I didn't take a single class that would have answered that question. Mm -hmm. If you were a jazz major, you may have taken a arranging class that did, but all the classical theory and stuff never made its way to explaining this which is a real shame because i think this is actually way more interesting or at least as interesting and way more broadly uh, appealing
2: yes yeah, <laughs> yes very much so a hundred percent what what i was gonna say um in regards to darbel about like the the dissection of this and everything it is a- another thing that i watched this week that kind of ties into this idea is uh anthony fantano had a video they put out i'm not sure if you guys saw where it's like Rick Rubin is DJ Khaled, Uh and um, I know there's
1: that video of Rick Rubin that's been going around where he's like, "Yeah, I don't know anything. yes Uh, people just pay me because I'm awesome."
2: (laughs) And 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 the argument from Anthony Fantano is that you know this is basically what DJ Khaled does. the The only difference is that Rick Rubin is actually good at his job, (laughs) which is which is a pretty funny way of framing it. But but yeah, um. One of my friends at work was asking me, he's like, is, is that really true? Like, Rick Rubin doesn't know anything about music, but he's made all these great records. And it's like, it's like, dude, when, when I am in a recording studio situation, I am so focused on my part and the things that directly interact with my part that I, I don't know what's going on big picture. And no matter what, I'm going to be kind of in this blind spot of what's happening with me because that's how musicians are. And having a big idea and a big picture and being able to construct those kind of like things that's important all that to say that like as much as we are getting out into the weeds about how they made this song probably it was just yebba riffing Mm -hmm. these vocal melodies and the musicians trying to keep up with what she was doing (laughs) as it was going on
1: well and and if you haven't watched the, the adam neely video where he is analyzing lady gaga's uh national anthem that she sang at biden's inauguration that's like my favorite video to show people when they're like I don't really I don't really care about music theory. I don't I don't get it. Or even there's some people I've known like I said before they're like, "Oh, I I don't like music theory. It ruins music to think of it that way." Cuz I've showed that video to like my parents who don't know anything about music theory and they're like, "This is fascinating." Like cuz he does a really good job of like talking about how compositional and theoretical decisions make something sound a certain way and then what that communicates. And I think so Go listen to that. Go watch that video if you get the chance. But yeah, so moving on, October Sky, I guess, I don't know, content warning. A couple of the songs on this album and many of the songs on her studio album, Dawn, are about Yeba's mother, Dawn, who died by suicide uh, right as Yeba's career was kind of taking off. Almost kind of ended her career in that she kind of just like, sat around in her apartment chain smoking for a year straight basically um she didn't want to move home but also she didn't really feel like doing anything so this song is is about that yeah anyone want to to start with this one
2: so i feel like a huge jerk cuz i just talked about like how music theory is not important and i have a large note about the use of hemiola in this song
1: (laughs) it's 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 as important as it is you know that's that's kind of my thing
2: so hemiola or the idea of two against three past the gosh darn butter um (laughs) is very (laughs) past the gosh darn butter past the gosh darn butter that's how i learned it man it works um so anyway uh (laughs) It's, it's done extremely well on this track and there's nothing on the rest of the album that's like it but one of the things that i thought was really interesting and I mean this is getting late into the song at four minutes they swing it which is super cool i like the first time I heard it I was like it, it almost sounded like a mistake like he was playing out of time a little bit and then like I went back and like really listened to the piano part and it's like oh he no he's rolling yeah, it a little da, bit da, 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 yeah and it kind of puts that that little bit of, of, a, of a wilton to it and I was like man That's a neat effect. Having that, you already have those two divided time signature things happening. And then this one over here starts to get a little bit more loose over the other one that's still staying straight. That's a really cool uh, rhythmic effect.
1: This song has like a very, setting the lyrics aside, the kind of feel of the song is very kind of haunting. It has a a kind of Celtic vibe, which I kind of realize maybe is because there's a, a major four chord in a minor song. Hmm. So that kind of Dorian is like common in Celtic music. But yeah, it has this almost like a like a old ballad type feel, you know, like old folk song. Da, 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 da. Almost almost like Kiss from a Rose by Seal like this very like <laughs> Oh my oh yeah. god. But like I mean like Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, I hear it now.
1: Yeah, like this kind of like uh tale of a song, you know, a grand Yeah. I think I think it's a beautiful song.
0: Yeah, I really like the the words you use are so good at like the haunting and the the feel of it, especially with the October. It has like a kind of autumn October feel to it. Yeah. I really like the music of it.
1: One thing that I'm curious about. So this song is called October Sky. It is mentioned in the song, her mother who was a substitute teacher, I believe some, or maybe a science teacher. I don't remember. Uh, there was at least the kind of formative memory that's referenced in this song is that like she would bring home stuff from class projects and they'd play with them. One of them was like bringing home these rockets from class and shooting them off for, for them. There is a book that was later turned into a, a pretty successful movie with, um, Jake Gyllenhaal and some other people called October sky about like a teacher who teaches her class about rockets and they make a rocket team and then they all end up working for NASA. I have not found a single reference on the internet of any link between this song and that movie. <laughs> and yet that has to be, I almost wonder it's like, it, did Yeba forget that she was like being influenced by this movie when she wrote this song? I, I don't know. I'm, I feel like a jerk. Cause I, I feel like I'm picking apart her like tragic recounting of real events, but like, it's named the same name as the movie. And the movie is about rockets. And so I felt like it's like a weird, like, why is anyone else talking about this? I don't know.
0: (laughs) Well, that's what I was Googling it. And that's part of why I was laughing. Cause I was like, okay, why is she singing about rockets in October sky? Like the movie October sky. And, uh, but yeah, I couldn't find
1: anything. I thought that was kind of (laughs) interesting.
2: This is going to be Joey's Charlie always sunny moment right with the the pins and the yeah. no, <laughs> <Good>
1: this, <X-y. laughs> this is going to be me getting canceled Carol because, because I'm poking holes in her personal story or something uh, no it's not important I also this this very this reminded me of like really good British composers like Ralph Vaughn Williams or Percy Granger or something like I thought it I think it's a, a beautiful song once again I like this version better than this song was released as a single from her album actually twice. There's an acoustic version and the, the album version. I like this version better. I think because of the piano playing.
2: Yeah. The, the piano line right before the I'm heading home to Memphis and he does that like really like rip descending line. Yeah. It's cool. It's, it's cool. Another thing that I think kind of contributes to the, like the haunting effect that, that you and Darville mentioned is the, um there's like a, I'm not sure if it's like a tape loop or like a patch of a choir, but it's, it's not quite in tune. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like, uh, Oh yeah. Uh, it just kind of like hangs out in the background. Yeah. That I think is kind of one of those things that makes it unsettled as you put this kind of like ballad thing there, but you have this kind of like wine hanging out in the background. Yeah. so like, yeah.
1: I know like in the first song of this album, there is some like, once again, I don't know if it's live or if maybe they were, did this later, some like vocal processing where they'll, they'll take some of her vocals and like put them through like a tape echo or something. And they're, they're kind of just like floating around out there. So it it could be something like that. could also be something triggered on the MPC. I'm not sure.
2: I'm so convinced that even when people are playing live now, I mean, we, if you, if you are familiar with like Polyphia at all, they're, they're playing concerts where they're just holding their instruments and Ableton is changing. Oh yeah. All, all the effects at every point in time. So, I mean, they're they're not doing anything, but the sounds from their guitars are constantly morphing. It wouldn't surprise me if they had clicks and they had Ableton running in the background or something of the sort, kind of just shifting those processes on and off the mic. Yeah,
1: it could be. Uh, although if you watch the videos of this, there's this whole thing, like you said, it's on YouTube. You can watch every single song. She's really good at using the microphone to make different sounds. So like pulling back from the microphone, whenever she wants it to sound really airy and echoey, really good control over that kind of stuff. I, I wanted to point out another lyric thing. This, this album unlocked my uh, lyric concern. So we've talked a bunch in this episode about like setting aside what you think about the songs or whatever. This person is an incredible singer. Like, like I said, last episode when we were like, when I said this is the album we're going to do is like her instrument is so good. The things she can do with her voice, the control, like, it, it's just incredible. The idea of that person that has that voice, like, sitting in an apartment chain smoking for a year, the imagery of that, of just like literally like destroying the thing you do the very best, maybe better than most people mm. in the entire world, like being so sad that you're just like, yep, I'm gonna just trash this thing. Man, is like a very powerful uh, image to me. Like the, there's a line about that. Cause I read about the chain smoking thing in an article, but like she mentions on the, on the mantle right by my cigarettes that I smoked since he left. Like she started smoking because she was sad and then chain smoked for like a year, like as like this incredible vocalist, I don't know. I was that little thing just kind of stuck with me.
2: Yeah. I thought that without knowing the, the backstory behind it, I thought that might've be like a little bit of like hyperbole. So knowing that that's actually
0: true is yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, with the uh lyrics of this song, like I really I love the lyrics. Songs that have lyrics that I love, like this is definitely up there in like quality of lyrics. But as you explain things it's like, "Oh, that's what it meant. Oh, that's what it means." And uh I mean, I'm not I'm trying to say this like this isn't dogging on this song at all, but it's like the songs that really are like, oh, yeah, like I love when I can get into the lyrics and figure it out that way and be like, oh, that's what they're singing about. That's what this is about. And so I was a little bummed that when I went into the lyrics, I was like, these are really good. I don't get it exactly. Like, I feel like I'm still missing some stuff. And so then when you fill it in with the information, it's like, oh, yeah, that's what I was missing. And it's like, I wish I could have gotten that just from the lyrics. But I get that. That's how songs are sometimes. so
1: I think I do tend to like a little bit of the opposite. I kind of like the more abstract, kind of almost like just little like snapshots of little imagery here and there like I tend to gravitate towards those lyrics more
2: unless it's prog rock and then you want this character said this I want to know why he <laughs> is on this
1: spaceship. Uh Yeah. In fact, I remember at Belmont one time I was in senior capstone and it was, that's the one class you finally take where it's like with all different majors all together, And we're talking about, you know, music and society, blah, blah, blah. And like this vocal, the question was like, why do you like the music you like? And this vocal major in the class was like, I like, I only like music that tells a story. And the professor was like, what do you mean? And she's like, oh, I mean like literally storytelling music so like musical theater uh very literal country songs um like i want lyrics that literally tell a story not like oh well, everything tells a story but like i literally want these lyrics to be a tale and that's all i listen to and i was like i i that is burned in my brain cuz i'm like i can't i don't know if i listen to any music that does <laughs> 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 like, like like the very literal and i'm i'm not saying that's what you meant darrell but it reminded me of these different like there are different approaches to me to lyrics like what lyrics are supposed to do or what what you prefer them to do
2: and see on the other end of the spectrum like one of my favorite bands of all time is clutch and i mean that man is literally a storyteller every, every song is a story sung from the perspective of whoever the subject of the story is it's you know constant changing and there's there's greek myth and there's you know biblical references and there are you know these
1: i think the difference the girl in this class i'm thinking of she literally meant like there was a guy, he went to this place and he met this woman and they fell in love. And then she got sick and died. And now he's sad. And every night he sings to his little girl, like clutch at least has a little bit of abstraction. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Is that all for October sky? Yeah. Okay. So next song is Louie bag. This was the song I liked the most first when I very, very first listened to this album. This is the one I listen to most frequently. It's still a great song. I, l- I love this song. It has a really good vibe, kind of sassy. Like you said, Darvold, like the hook of na, 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 na. Like really catchy, really groovy. It's a good, good song. This is another example, though, of like, if you go listen to the real version of this song, there's like a rap at the end. It's like very much more of like a cocky rapper type mindset and i don't like it very much i love this one the this version though
0: yeah i love again that melody is so good and this is where like i think like my taste in music like i do prefer the more simple more catchy more you know pop way of it's like that snippet. It's like, yes, I love this. And then you go off and do your... And then you come back to it, and I'm like, I wish I just had more of that like just <laughs> compacted, put together. like. But no, this is uh, my favorite song on the EP.
1: Plus, even the opening line, it was a stormy winter. What a cool line. <laughs>
0: I like this
2: track more than a lot of the others, again, because the more complex instrumentation, as a general rule, but it also had my favorite lyrical moment on the album because this constant autumn leaves reference all throughout the entirety of the record, I felt like this was the first time there was actually a payoff for that <laughs> with they cut my palms with paper made from her autumn leaves. But mm-hmm. That was pretty clever. And then it immediately goes into I'm bleeding out disclaimers into my family tree. I thought that was... That was so tying the leaves together two different ways, I was like, yeah, that's pretty clever. I enjoyed that.
1: So I read a, I read something interesting I don't think this is necessary to understand this song or unlock the song, but I wonder if this line is referencing it. So after her mother died, like I said, it was right as Yeba's career was kind of ramping up. She literally overheard record label people saying not to her, but not not to her. This is actually really good. You're going to write some great songs because of this. And she was just, like, disgusted. And I, I om- almost wonder if, like, this little kind of angry parts of lyrics in this song are, are a little bit about that. Like, I'm just going to put that in my bag. I'm not going to get into it. But, like, not doing that.
2: Man, that's intense. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, was just, come just on, guys.
1: Uh, I love the Wurlitzer on this song the key the keyboard he's playing do 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 like just really good groovy like bill withers kind of vibe it's 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 cool it's a cool song
2: there's also um i probably only picked up on this because being a drummer but the um the use of stacks and the, the trend of jazz drummers now to put random crap on your drums <laughs> quest quest love has embraced this very well yeah <laughs> he has he has a lot of like these kind of like sizzly kind of chunky textures that go throughout the thing it's never it's never just a hi-hat it's always like a little bit of a like trashy undercurrent and if it's this kind of you know melancholy atmospheric thing having it's not quite perfect. It's not your poppy hi-hat. It's not your poppy snare. It's it's a little bit edgy. It sounds like a drum set that's been sat in the back
0: of the club for 70 years untouched. It is interesting. Like I, I feel like with this album, as much as it's completely different from the Lorna Shore album we did in our last episode, they kind of fall in the same category for me, where it's like I don't want to listen to them, I don't like them for kind of the same... Very, they're very different but they fall in the same reason that I don't like them if that makes any sense I've been saying this in my head for the last two weeks but when I went to finally say it I like lost, it stopped making sense to me so hopefully <laughs> you can make sense of what I just said I I, I was actually going to bring this up later but I think that uh, you brought
2: it up now I, I was going to say I, I think this album holds more in common with Lord of Shore than any of the other records we listened to and again it comes back to this kind of virtuosic singer that's really driving the album in ways that are interesting, but also could be off putting to some people. (laughs) Yeah. So, so it's much like I said with Will Ramos in the Lorna shore episode about how like you, you just have to like sit there and be like, this is cool that this guy can do these sounds. It's really cool that Yeba can, also do these sounds at this range at these dynamics across all these different kind of it's it's all kind of soul r&b but it still kind of morphs genre a little bit she's kind of a vocal chameleon um it never settles in it's never uh i know what frank sinatra sounds like because he sounds like frank sinatra like i i don't know what yeba sounds like other than freaking good at whatever she does so i i i see a parallel there
0: yeah. And that's what, thanks for reminding me. Cause that was, yeah, yeah, they're both very impressive. And, uh, and the musicians too, like just all the music, very impressive, very good for what it is, but just not my taste.
1: That's fair. But one, one last thing, the very, 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 I mean, literally very end of Louis bag. There's like the little funny thing where the piano starts doing some stuff in like a totally new key and then eventually finishes in the, the home key. I thought it was kind of a, cheeky little thing he did um, so the last song I'm guessing is probably going to be the more divisive of our viewpoints I think this song Paranoia Purple another song about about her mother's death it's from the point of view of her mother which I think is like a very I can't imagine if if, if my mother who I'm pretty close with if my mother died that way like trying to perform a song from what was going on in her head, leading up to that. Like, I I don't even, I don't think I, I probably couldn't get through it, let alone like write a decent song about it. I think this song is just astounding. Like I think the like weird chord changes that kind of like non-circular progressions and it's very cinematic until we finally, the last couple minutes of the song, we finally get into like a very regimented, regimented, you know, like four chord and she, she's doing the oohs that, you know, very animalistic, which I mean, she's literally saying like, I'm howling at the moon. Yeah. I I think I didn't, at first I was tempted kind of like with age of worry a little bit, dig into it and be like, what chords are going on here? And then I was like, I'm not really going to figure it out because it's pretty complicated and I don't really want to go through all that. And I was like, (laughs) I don't even know how much I'll say about this song, like in the notes that I wrote, because her voice is so good. I think the song's incredible. I think the lyrics are incredible. Like the circumstances are incredible. Yeah, I think it's great.
2: So I didn't know all of that going into this um, regarding her mother and everything. And I thought the lyrics were kind of vague. Yeah. And I could... I the the emotion is there. I could tell that there was something that really, she wanted to talk about. I could tell that it was a there was another perspective there because the someone like my Abigail, but but again without knowing the 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 context of it, I I was like man I I like the howling at the moon and like you said like the word painting with that with like the ooze after and stuff that I thought was neat, but um I I, I mean if if you read them without context, howling at the moon heaven 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 because I'll be howling at the moon and still all I see it's you heaven must be like this. It's like, I don't know what the song's about. Yeah. So. so,
1: so here's an interesting thing. This, this version of the song has an extra verse compared to the album version. The album version hmm. stays in her mother's point of view the whole time. Hmm. This version, Yeba adds a verse from Yeba's point of view. They're like, I still can't figure out five years. It's too, it's too many to like, that's all her reacting to, to her mother's passing. So I thought that was kind of an interesting decision for her to make, you know, talking about the lyrics.
0: Yeah. I also didn't know about her mother and what this song was about. Um, But yeah, just reading through them again. Now with that perspective, it's a much more powerful and musically, like, I really like the melody of this song and it's one of those things where it's like, it's interesting. And so like I could listen to this melody and know this isn't going to be your typical four same four chord progression that are, you know, all in the key fitting in their proper place. But I wouldn't even know where to start as far as like guessing at like, Oh, this is, Oh yep that chord little must be doing this. You know, I'd have to, you know, sit down with the piano for days to be like, okay, this is what it's doing. But yeah, I really Again, like the just terrible. That's literally what I did. Like, don't feel bad. No, no. Like- and
1: that is, that is literally what I decided not to do. <laughs> Cause I, I would have, I would have been this, I would have been like literally like what, whatever the equivalent of hunting and pecking is in typing like that for chords. That is what this song would have been like that chord. Nope. That chord. Nope.
2: Like, <laughs> Yeah. It, it got, it got to the point we're on this record when I was trying to figure out what was going on. Like there would be times where I would just hold a drone and be like, see if it nope. lines up. <laughs> yeah. It, we're, we're not in that key. How about this one? And it's like, okay, we're here. So this is the key that we're in. And I'd start <laughs> playing on the scale and be like, Oh, I moved again. Okay.
1: So. so one, like I said, I didn't do much analysis musically. I think this song's just a great song. One cool thing, this song that I, did just kind of notice that is the idea of doing it in like a contemporary popular soul pop R&B ish context. She uses whole tone scales in this song, which are not generally used outside of like certain ethnic styles or like classical nerd music. So like for the listener, a scale is usually made up of a series of, of notes with certain intervals between them, either a half step or a whole step away, usually combinations of half steps and whole steps. There is a certain scale called a whole tone scale where each note is one whole step from the note before it and the one after it. And it sounds very particular. This song plays with that a lot with like a raised fourth, the flat seven. Yeah. I thought that was kind of cool.
2: I mean, that makes sense with a lot of the like dreamlike qualities, right? It right. gives it yeah. that
1: both augmented and it, it, it kind of hides the tonal center a little bit,
2: so one thing I liked about this song, again coming from kind of like an arranging nerd perspective, is uh the entrance of the cello in the beginning, how she hums the note when the cello comes in, so it kind of it, it sounds like the cello has this like kind of like fat reverb on it, but it's actually a vocalist behind it just like oh like yeah. <laughs> beefing up the sound. I thought that was a was a pretty cool thing. By by this point in the album, I the the vocal run, the, the coolness of it was starting to wear thin on me a little bit. And uh, objectively, like as I was going through the record again today, the the last two tracks over and over again because they're the the ones I listen to the least. Kind of like Darwell talked about, you know, you front you listen to the front end of the album more. And I just spent all my time on that second track. I like this song more than tracks one and three by by a good amount. But if I listen to the record as a whole, by the time I get here I'm just kind of like,
1: "Ugh." And see, <laughs> from I think from so this is tied for my favorite song with Age of Worry, maybe slightly edging out into first place, I'm not sure. I think with the vocal runs, I think the fact that she is doing different runs than pretty much any other singer I can think of, even though she is doing a lot of runs, She's not doing the same pentatonic gospel runs that basically Mariah Carey, Whitney Houston. I mean, going all the way back to like Aretha Franklin probably, but like Mariah Carey is who I'd kind of most associated with at this point. Yeba does some slightly different things rhythmically. A lot of like the kind of standard ones are very, the rhythmic elements are all very samey. They're going da 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 Where, or da 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 you know i think something that yeba does that's really cool a lot of her lines are kind of rhythmically irregular almost like the way that like uh arab or indian music can be a little bit where it's like da 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 you know like very she'll sit on a note for a little bit longer than the one before or after like just kind of changing it up she also isn't sticking to the strict pentatonic notes as much and i think for me that keeps it sounding uh, fresh. And so I don't, I don't find it. I can see what you mean that like she sings like, yeah, the whole album, I mean, that's true. So if, if that style of singing, if, if it's not quite where you want to live, as, as you said, you will have had a lot of it by the end of the album. I think for me, like putting it in comparison with other singers of this genre it stays novel enough for me to, to kind of hang with it.
2: I think it's a good point what you said about the, the rhythmic diversity because she does have some, I think it's the track before this one, but it might be this one. She has this thing that goes, ha da, 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 da. and it's like, oh, that's a that's a cool way to do that. And it's like a
1: horn um, line.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. It's like a saxophone.
1: Mm-hmm. Any thoughts, Darvill?
0: Not anything more on this song, but just kind of, yeah, I think listening to it, thinking about it. And then now even talking about it kind of helped me pinpoint again. It's all amazing for what it is. And I do like, I liked it. There are things I enjoyed about it, but for whatever reason, just her voice, not my taste. And then I think I do prefer the kind of simple structure, like easy for me to fall in, know where we are, know where we're going of, you know, your typical simple songs. Um, I think that those were the elements that, because it's not that those were the main two elements that kept me from really getting into this album. But again, very good for
2: what it is. So in terms of the albums we've listened to, this is by far the furthest outside of my comfort zone. And and I'm, I'm glad I listened to it. It worked my brain in ways that it has not been worked in years. Um, (laughs) I really became enamored with some of the session musicians that played on this. Particularly, the piano player was it Frances? James Frances. Yeah. yeah, I I went and looked up some of his other stuff after, and was really taken by it. She's an amazing singer. I think there are good songs on here. I I don't know. It's something that I will come back to. So, I I don't I I actually don't know how I feel about this record. Honestly, <laughs> like like if if we're, if we're like because again I I do think. Age of Worry will be on my current rotation for a long time. And I don't know why that song got It Sucks In Me So Much and the other ones didn't. Because she, like you said, she's Yeba through the whole record. So I don't know why that one, but...
1: I'm curious, James, if you did something that I did and failed that, which is <laughs> I was watching the video of them performing Age of Worry... And there are a few places where the camera is kind of over the piano player's shoulder. And like, I, I was totally pausing and zooming to see if I could read his chart (laughs) while he's playing. (laughs) You can can never get a clear, you can almost see like, I was just like, cause it's just a chord chart with slashes. And so I was like, Oh, maybe I can like switch it to, you know, 4,000, whatever P and then, like, get a screen grab and zoom it. It never worked. I could never get... I was I was like, I can just skip all this guessing and just read his chart. And It, it didn't work.
2: <laughs> See, I wasn't... It's funny. I had this, the same thought, but I went about it a different way. I didn't look at the chart. I was watching his hand shapes. Ah. And I was trying to figure out chord qualities from his hand shapes on the piano. Well,
1: it's all black then... keys. The whole thing's in C sharp and F sharp.
2: Right. And that's what <laughs> made it impossible because it's like his hand's just like a flat... You know, he's hitting all the notes and it's like, well, so.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's funny. I do want to kind of clarify, like, as much as there's so much meat on this album, like in terms of, like you said, kind of puzzles or if you want to sit down with a guitar, piano, and dig into it, you can. This is very much a vibes album for me. Like a lot of my listening of this album was like, in the car or like while I was working and a lot of albums, like I can't listen to m- music a lot while I'm working cause I get distracted. This is very much like, I think really because of the drums and the bass, like, it's just like this, as much as I love digging into it and listening to it in an active sense, I also enjoy this album just as much as kind of like chill music. So,
2: that might help me clarify my opinion on it a little bit Mm -hmm. because this does feel like you know I mentioned earlier like Lucy Dacus and artists like that I'll use those artists in that way and I think I couldn't do that with this record because my ear kept catching things and going what is that yeah and and that might have been one of the reasons the frustration might be one of the reasons they didn't sit well with me
1: yeah well I always like telling people about albums and this is the rare chance where I, I get to force people to listen to an album that, that I like. So I I appreciate y'all listening to it.
2: (laughs) And and again, like it wasn't a, it wasn't a bad experience. Like in terms of like musically enriching experiences I've had over the past few years, dissecting this record was probably among the top. I've not had anything like really stretch my brain or ear as much as this record in a long time
0: and uh I wish I liked it more. <laughs> and maybe maybe it's my uh church trauma that was keeping me from loving it was just <laughs> too much of it sound reminded me of those uh <laughs> church songs I used to listen to. Man. So uh we said this was gonna be the shortest podcast. Of the,
1: length <laughs> of the album I mean, and we didn't start talking about the album till like nine forty or so. Yeah, I guess. And even
0: then, like the second song, we spent a long time on there talking about yeah. a lot of different things. So. Yeah. Cool. So, Darvel, what are we doing next week? So, again, it's interesting. Uh, if I mean, when you mentioned this podcast, I went and found like 25 of my like top albums that I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going to be good. And then when you start throwing out themes, I'm like, ah, none of these fall in those themes. <laughs> um, but, uh, Yeah. So this one is another one that I would not have probably wouldn't be in my top 50 that I would pick for this podcast, but I'm excited to listen to it and talk about it. So we've still been going with 2022. I messaged you guys. I I looked and searched and listened, could not find another one. I just don't listen to enough new albums. So James said, how about 2021? And I was like, Oh shoot. Okay. So I'm digging, I'm digging. And, uh, yeah, I think my favorite album from 2021, and the one we'll do, is Montero by Lil Nas X. Oh, cool. Yes.
1: I have not listened to that album as much as like I know many, many, many people have. So that'll be interesting for me to actually give it some time. Cool.
2: That is an unexpected but thrilling choice.
1: Yeah,
0: I feel like these three albums, the second round, are very... Far apart from uh, from each other so flying all over the place I
2: still feel bad for not liking this album more <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah but it, it, it's like I, I, man, I don't know like on paper I should love this album like he, I should love it I'm
1: curious you should go listen to the two albums by D'Angelo that have this band which are voodoo and then that came out in like ninety eight and then he came out and he waited a while to come out with the follow-up. In twenty fourteen he came out with uh Black Messiah, I think is what's mm-hmm. called. With the with same Vanguard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The that's that that's what he calls this iteration of or this band configuration. Yeah, Rafael Sadiq is on guitar sometimes and bass sometimes. Charlie Hunter plays on a track which i don't know if you know who he is he plays an eight string guitar that he plays the bass on the low three strings and the comps and solos on the top all at the same time um th- but voodoo is like i mean i listen to that album at least once a month it's so good
0: well
2: it, it was fun i'm sorry i i wish i had liked it better joey
1: you don't. Know, <laughs> you know i mean only person you have to answer to is Yeba if you ever meet her
2: <laughs> do do your kids I'm kind of curious, like I I, I saw Britney mention that uh Riley's in her like Paramore phase but is that like Kind of their vibe with music, or
0: are they more into the SoundCloud rap, as Joey likes to say? <laughs> <laughs> My kids' their go-to music is Perry Grip, and uh, which you know he's got some fun ones. I like Perry but, Grip. Uh, <laughs> they they're definitely getting all over the place with the. Uh, I mean, Brittany and I. It's funny because we like really, like honestly, like fell in love over music, like just super similar taste and everything. And now it's very expanded. Like we still love that stuff back from high school, but like our top albums right now are very different. Um, and so our kids are, you know, they're listening to Harry Styles over here with mom. And then they're coming and listen to Weezer with me. And, but uh, I, I mentioned last week or last episode, the system of a down, <laughs> like they're being obsessed with the uh, chop suey that has gotten them more okay listening to like Billy Talent and uh, some other more kind of screaming, shouting stuff that I enjoy and uh and yeah, like Lorna Shore. They we got in the car today and they're like, Are we gonna listen to some of your crazy music? I was like, <laughs> I was like Nope, gotta listen to Yebba. Gotta <laughs> finish my homework here. <laughs>